Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I'm your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, we are going to continue our conversation with an incredibly talented marketing and advertising professional who is here to continue her chat with us about the importance of human capital challenges and considerations in today's business world. Jennifer is the founder of Day One Ready, an M&A deal consultancy that advises forward-thinking business leaders, owners, and C-suite executives on how to prepare for the human capital challenges of mergers and acquisitions. The survivor of three multi-billion dollar acquisitions, Jennifer saw countless growth strategies fail due to a workforce that couldn't pivot and adapt because they were not able to adapt as quickly as leadership had anticipated. When her Harvard Business Review article after a merger, Don't Let Us Versus Them Thinking Ruin the Company, went viral, Jennifer recognized the power and interest in a human-centric approach to business transformation where employees are at the heart of the change, not on the sidelines. She shares her expertise as a contributor to Forbes, Harvard Business Review, Medium, Middle Market Growth, American Marketing Association, and Thrive, and as a keynote speaker, most recently for Express Scripts Leadership, who were acquired by Cigna for $64 billion in 2018. Her book, Now What?, A Survivor's Guide for Thriving Through Acquisition is scheduled to be published in October of 2019 and in guides executives and middle managers through the transitions brought by M&A to find the opportunities in change and disruption. It is my pleasure to welcome Jennifer back to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. So in our last segment, we talked a lot about your background and what led to your writing of your upcoming book, which is launching in October called Now What? A Survivor's Guide for Thriving Through Acquisition. As we ended our last segment together, you gave us a little bit of a foreshadowing of what we're going to start our conversation with, which is talking a bit about the different characters that you have identified through living through M&A as well as through the interviews that went into creating your book. I'm sure our listeners, as a sneak preview to your book launch, would love to hear a little bit more about the different characters that you identify that emerge post-M&A. Some of the names are really hysterical, like the dominatrix and the black widow and the former rock star. How did you approach that? And what's your goal in defining these characters for your readers? Well, I'm, one, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed the characters. I would have to say it was... It was one of the most fun parts of my interview session. I had defined, based on my experience, 10 different, I call them my cast of change characters. And what was fascinating to me, I had illustrations done for all 10 of them. And I should say, I had illustrations done because, as I highlighted earlier when we were talking, there's a lot of absurdity. There's a lot of just wacky things that can happen during the post-deal landscape. And people change. When you're operating from a position of fear, people act differently. And I saw this three different times. And so 
I crafted what I saw were the characters that came to life and that post-deal environment. But what was fascinating for me is as I was interviewing people, they would look at the picture. I would have the know nothing or the know it all. And they would immediately say, oh my God, I've been dealing with one of those. Or yes, we had a black widow and she almost undermined the deal. And so they, they reacted quickly and gave perspective. And so and when I say perspective, how they work with them, how they identified them. And I wanted that all to come forward in the book. So while I had fun, the dominatrix, I should highlight all of these characters are gender neutral for the illustrations. You know, we have <laughs> one gender, but they, they emerge male or female. And, and that's consistent in the way I bring the, the characters to life. And so the, the key aspect of the book for that section is how to identify if you're working with a black widow, if you're working with the former rock star, which tended to be, by the way, the former rock star was most everybody's favorite character. It's, I'll highlight that one in particular because he's a bit of fun. It's that person who was an amazing leader in your company for good reason, right? Maybe they were the head of sales or they were the, the product guru who loses their way in that post-deal environment because the keys to success, the metrics for success have changed. Mm-hmm. And if that rock star can't pivot and can't adapt, they're fixated and focused on what got them there and they stay in that mindset. And so, you know, a key part for me of, of describing all of these characters is the mindset shift, how you, how you have to adapt in a post M&A deal landscape. And so the book identifies each of the characters, tells you how to work with them. Also, I do a little bit of self-awareness in each section I talk uh, a bit about. And if it's you, here's how you're presenting. Here's how people are seeing you. So if you're hearing people say these kinds of things to you, then you may be coming across as a know-it-all. Mm-hmm. And so for, for the, the readers of the book, it's just an opportunity, again, to bring transparency to the personalities that they may be encountering. And there are personalities that happen both in the new you know, if you've been acquired, for instance, then there may be new bosses that you get. But the other key highlight that I make is you've been working with people for a while. You may think you know them, but when people are operating from a position of fear, their personalities change. And they may not change indefinitely, but they, they can change. And that for me in particular was one of my greatest lessons learned that I wanted to share. You just need to be prepared for that. Somebody who thought was an ally may not be an ally in this new environment. And someone who you actually might not have thought much about or didn't have a ton of interaction with suddenly can become a life preserver for you, can be an ally. And so I, I want to open people's eyes to that. But yeah, I'd have to admit that bringing those 10 characters to life was probably the most fun for the book. Well, and I remember you and I talking about this some time ago about you know, when you go through transitions like this. And while I haven't, I I have over the course of my career been through a number of law firm mergers and acquisitions. So in some ways they look a little bit different in the context of a law firm, but in other ways, there are a lot of interesting parallels. And I've also seen some interesting inflection points against that backdrop of, you know, certain pretty fundamental changes happening you know, for me personally, as well as for the organizations that I've been part of. And I could not agree with you more that when you are at inflection points like that, whether it's an M&A transaction or something else that really 
has a fundamental impact on or and creates an inflection point for an organization that you know sometimes there's a lot of disappointment in terms of what people do or don't do for themselves and for each other in that context and sometimes you can be pleasantly surprised as well but i i, I think your advice is is sage and it's you know be prepared for anything and just understand the importance of being nimble and really i think walking in with with little expectation and to have contingency plans particularly as it relates to how you interact with people and what you can expect from them. Yeah, and you you raise an excellent point. I'm I'm glad you said that. My experience was because of mergers and acquisitions, but consistently the executives that I who I interviewed said this happens in business transformation. These personalities emerge when when you're at an inflection point as you said. So that's one of the consistent things that I hope that people will read this book. They may not be going through a merger and acquisition, but could be going through a major transformation in their company and can learn a lot from reading about these these personalities in particular. And that's, I think, why people just gravitate to them because it's like, oh, you've put a face to someone who I'm dealing with. And and it, and I, I'm very straightforward, right? I, I find that a lot of these books take a very academic approach to personality types and archetypes, you know, and you have the hero and the hero's journey and the lover and the innovator. And I'm like, no, I've dealt with a know-it-all and a (laughs) know-nothing, an ostrich, you know, the missing in action. Like I wanted to bring, I will say more humanity to what I saw happen. And, and, and it's the highlight of the speaking engagements I do because I do a lot with the cast of change characters and I let people try and figure out you know, who the different characters are and ones they've been working with. And and so it just, it reminds people that we're dealing with people. <laughs> you right. know, like, we're dealing with people and, you know, all bets are off. And so the smarter you can be about some of the changes that might happen, it, I, f- I feel I've done my job to at least arm you with that knowledge. So in the course of writing the book and having all these, what sound like incredible conversations with people, was there anything that you heard that surprised you? The one, there were many, many surprises, but uh, we could talk all day about that. I'd say consistently what fascinated me most, because again, I was often talking to CEOs, CFOs, heads of HR, private equity. I talked a lot to middle managers. I wanted this to be a full, robust perspective. But what fascinated me is that going through a merger or an acquisition changes your perspective. The leadership skills that you are typically taught are when things are going well. And what they said consistently is they never anticipated how emotional they would be or that other people would become in going through this. And I think that that's, for me, the, the benefit of the book. Because, listen, I, I, people said, this is a great leadership book. And I, I do think of it that way, but it's a, it's you are going to be required to have different leadership skills when you are going through turbulent times. It's the, you know, pilot training. It's being ready for the crisis, ready to really anticipate and navigate not only yourself, but your team through it. And that's what I found most fascinating is how frequently that came up, that they hadn't anticipated the emotions that they would feel and what they would see that their, their company would go through as part of it. It's really hard, you know, 
when people say it's business, it's not personal. I, I find that that's unfair, an unfair comment, because particularly if you've devoted your life to a company and you've invested so much to be that rising star or to be that star period, and then suddenly a merger and acquisition happens and it can feel like the rug got pulled out from under you, it feels personal. And so I would say that was the biggest surprise. I knew it had been my experience, but I didn't think, I didn't anticipate that so many people in the interviews would, would highlight that. So in that vein, you've, you've already mentioned a few things that companies and lawyers need to think about as these types of transitions are happening. Are there any other steps that you would like to share that companies and lawyers can take to help mitigate the risks that M&A present from a human standpoint? There, there's a couple. I think first and, and foremost, and my, my husband's a lawyer, so my admiration for, for lawyers is significant. And what's, what's interesting is going through uh, when I was writing and interviewing, typically when a, a business executive is thinking of a merger and acquisition, they'll call their lawyer first. An accountant might also be called as well. Lawyers have an enormous position of influence as a trusted advisor. And so what I would I always say to not just to my husband, but to lawyers as well who I've got to know through through this journey is how important it is to remind their client or whoever they may be working with that could be going through a merger and acquisition or have entertained it to advise the client to bring on a human capital advisor, someone who can talk to them about the people side, the people challenges. Because consistently when I've talked to lawyers who work in mergers and acquisitions, when they hear what I do and how I talk about it, they'll say, oh my God, where were you when I had been? <laughs> and, I, and I say, if you don't even, it doesn't even need to be me. There are human capital advisors out there, but consistently reminding executives, private equity, whoever they may be dealing with, that you've got to talk about the people piece in that due diligence, you know, letter of intent phase of the, of the deal making. Because if you put it off too late, then you're scrambling. And that's really my goal is it's not a major thing that I think needs to be done. It's a course correction. It's having that conversation earlier in the, the deal planning. And lawyers have an enormous role and influential role, if you will, in doing that. And so I'm thankful because I've had an opportunity to present to a number of different lawyers and as part of association presentations that I've done. And I'm, I'm thrilled um, that the message seems to be equally be resonating. That's great. And, you know, changing the frame of reference again. So what do you advise lawyers who you've, you've just shared what you recommend they think about as they're representing some, some company or entity that's going through this type of a transition, how do you change up the advice when you're talking to lawyers or a law firm that may be themselves looking to merge with another firm or to be acquired? How should they think about that process for themselves? Well, one, and I, I say this not as doom and gloom, you know, you and I have talked about the the consistency of, uh, of M&A deal failure, but you know, the M&A is going to continue. I think we've made that point clear. So the likelihood of, of going through a merger acquisition in your career has increased exponentially. 
For the last five years, we've seen over $3.5 trillion deals globally, right? So one, I think it's just the important point to make is don't think it won't happen to you. You have to always be planning that it could. And there's no industry right now that I've seen that isn't being impacted by, by M&A. So the advice I give is, first and foremost, seize the opportunities and see what the opportunity is in change. Look at this as a positive. You can't hide, right? I, one of the personalities I talk about is the ostrich. You can't stick your head in the sand. And there's three key things that I, I recommend consistently. One is quickly determine how best your strengths can contribute to the overall success of the new entity. Find what that is. You need to know what your value is. You need to know what your strengths are, what you've been good at. But now you need to pivot. You need to adapt and anticipate where your strengths can best help the overall success of, of the new vision and where you're going. Secondly, you need to make your skills and experience a significant contributor to that opportunity. So you can't just assess it and know what it is, but then you've got to actively contribute to that new opportunity. And last, you've got to make sure that people know what you can bring to the party. And I don't say this as a negative. You can't assume that your boss or your leader who you've reported to is fighting on your behalf. The, the reality is that in that post-deal landscape, there's just so much change that's happening in transition. And this is not to judge your boss as good or bad. The reality is they may be equally looking to figure out their own survival tactics. So you need to be smart and, and really look at this as a new job interview. You need to demonstrate what your strengths are and how they can contribute to the new vision and where you're going and make sure that people know that. And that's, that's the core message of the, of the book. I talk about how to collaborate with the other side, how to deal with the politics, but really the thread through all of that is know what you're good at, how it contributes to the new vision and make sure people know that. And that's really great advice. And, you know, sort of speaking from the frame of reference as a practicing lawyer who was part of a firm that went through a number of mergers over 20 plus years, you know, and I would say that in, in many ways, those mergers were seen as a success for the most part, I would say that what I think led to the, I guess, the ability for the combinations to move forward in a meaningful way was the fact that there was a courting period, especially with the first one that I experienced, and this was 20 years ago, when law firm mergers really, there had not been a track record of any success for mergers and where it wasn't just that they weren't deemed successful, where it actually ended up in the dissolution of the combined firm. That was the backdrop against which I experienced my first law firm merger. And there was a courting period of, I think, a couple of years. I think in today's market and environment and landscape, I don't know if that's really a reasonable time frame anymore, but there was a real interest in making sure that the cultures were complementary and not going to fractional, you know, fractionalize the workforce. But there was also this real desire to make sure that there were synergies in the actual practices too. And that's something else that I think, especially if you're part of the leadership team, is making sure that from a business standpoint, you're not just getting more of the same, that whether it's a geographic play, a sector play, a practice group play, ideally you would be making real marked improvements and getting huge mileage and leverage on on you know all those levers and more 
So I don't think I can underestimate the importance, at least from my frame of reference of having experienced this as, as you have, the importance of at least trying to date, so to speak, and really get a sense as to whether the business meshes well, making sure there aren't any significant legal conflicts, business conflicts, but also making sure that it's a one plus one equals three situation. And you highlight such an important thing. And I want to pinpoint in particular your use of the word courtship, because one of the things I reinforce is you need to think about a successful merger or an acquisition like a good marriage. The best partnerships you've seen, the, the best marriages you've seen typically are when you see that each side has respect for the other side right? They come to that union with respect for the other side and you see that they bring out the best in each other. Uh, At least typically when I've talked to people, that's how they define the best partnerships that they've seen. And so I say the same thing has to happen in, in a merger or an acquisition. You need to come to that deal with respect for the other side and really allow each side to bring out the best in each other. And so that courtship period, it really is like dating. And, and one of the articles that I've done is about how that how so much of M&A is like dating, right? Don't do the shotgun wedding. You really got to get to know each other. right? <laughs> because the shotgun wedding is typically not going to end well. It's that, you know, the, the aphrodisiac, the seduction of the deal. It, it, just that initial great chemistry can be super, but you've got you've to think through that long-term play. So I love the fact that you use courtship because I really do see the success of M&A. The lens you should have is looking at it like, how, how do we make this marriage the best it can be? And in a marriage, everyone always says the best marriages, you hit those rocky patches, but you don't abandon ship, right? You don't think, oh, why did I get into this? The best marriages are people who work through those rough patches because, again, they have respect for each other and they want this union to work. And so I, I, I do talk about it a lot like that. So love the fact that you had the same kind of reference point. Yeah, I have to say that even though I'm not at that firm anymore, living through those experiences and watching how the senior leaders handled a variety of, of transactions, having that in my knowledge bank and experience bank, it's something that I'll always be grateful for having had because, you know, my guess is that I will have similar situations in my future, either, yeah. you know, experiences within my own organization or especially for, for the clients that I work with. And just knowing what that looked like is something that is incredibly valuable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Tina, I would suspect it allows you to have a perspective that you can bring to your clients as well, as, as we keep saying throughout, right? The, the more and more clients are going to be dealing with the merger and acquisition in their career. And so you having that perspective makes you that much more informed on what they might be going through and how you can help in how you advise them, both professionally and personally. Absolutely. It's hard to believe that our time is is winding down quickly here. This has been such a fun conversation. Who knew have- it could make any <laughs> fun conversation, right? Right. Well, I, I can't wait to buy your book. You'll have to autograph it for me. But I'm so excited about, about your book. And I have one more question. Um, and I wanted to talk with you about your manifesto, which is something that we've talked about before. And maybe it's your manifesto, maybe it's your tagline. I I would say it's probably both, rediscovering the humanity in business. So much of our business is about connecting with people, 
and really having them trust us and feel comfortable with our advice, which you use the term that I use often, which is being their trusted advisor. While people might think lawyers are just about the law, it really is about connecting with people first. And clearly you're focused on the people piece of business as well. What's driving that for you? And as advisors who serve people in business every day, what are things that we should all be thinking about? It's funny. I, I would say that rediscovering the humanity in business, uh, it actually came three years ago. I was giving a speech. It was when I was still a marketing executive and I was giving a speech about cultivating a gut instinct, right? Uh, data, data, data. I'd been a marketing executive. We'd become so obsessed with data. I felt that we weren't doing a good job of helping our teams cultivate a gut instinct. So I gave that speech, but at the end of the speech, I highlighted that I was writing a book on, on how to survive M&A and I was interviewing people. So it was really to say, if you've been through one, would love to interview. And I had a, a guy come up to me at the end and he said, you're really focused on the humanity aspect of business. And I thought that was brilliant because, yeah, I didn't even, I hadn't even realized it, but he said, you know, there's a human component to all that you talk about. What are, what are we as humans trying to achieve and what, what do we contribute to business? And it's interesting. I feel that that message is really starting to resonate in the, in the past few years where I don't think it has in the past, or I, I don't think I would have been as successful even five years ago. But I think with all the talk about artificial intelligence and our obsession with data, the accelerating pace of change, you know, the, the fear that robots are going to replace us. At the core of my message is our humanity is our strength. And I, and I say jokingly in, in one of the speeches that I give, it's, it's interesting to me how oftentimes people say, oh, sorry, my mistake. You know, I'm only human. And we started to see our humanity as a deficiency. And I say it is our core strength and we've got we've to leverage it. And, and lawyers in particular, that trusted advisor role People call their lawyer first before most any anyone else, ideally, right? When they're right. in an M and A situation, and so I highlight to to lawyers: you have that that trusted advisor role. Don't see your humanity as a weakness, but as a strength, as a as a way to really help your your client understand and navigate and think through how they should be approaching it. What are the things they need to think about? You know, like I said, I, I feel like I've almost become obsessed with humanity at this point. But I, I, I'm so thankful. And again, it's influenced by uh, what, what I see my husband do with with his key clients. That humanity piece, that connection that you have with clients, is invaluable when people are afraid of the unknown and are afraid of change. So I'm thrilled that you've you've got this podcast, Tina, and that you have listeners out there who clearly recognize the importance of, of their humanity and, and their connection with their clients. So I say, just keep doing it. Keep, keep having that connection and advising in a way that helps your clients be smart to, to navigate what can be some, some turbulent times. Well, I can't wait to have you on the show again. This has been such a fun and just thoughtful conversation. And I'm so excited about your book launch. Can't wait to read it. And in the meantime, where can our listeners find you? And if you can remind our listeners how they can pre-order your book, that would be terrific. You bet. So my website is jenniferjfondrave.com. And there you can, you can pre-order the book. You'll see a, a section there. 
also for for folks uh, in the Chicago area, I have a listing of events where I'll be doing book signings. I'm doing it in a number of different places. So those events will continue to be added to my website. So I would say, keep looking back because I, uh, you mentioned before you want a signed copy, happy to sign yours, Tina and, uh, and anyone else. I'm really excited about the number of different events that will be happening where I'll have an opportunity to not only speak to the book, a couple of panel sessions, and I'll have book signings as, as part of those experiences. So again, it's jenniferjfondreve.com is where you can go and, and find out uh, more about the book, where you can see me, and also obviously the consulting work that I do. And where can folks find you on social media? I would say look for me on LinkedIn. That is really my major platform. I have enjoyed building a a following uh, on LinkedIn. I think it's interesting how many people have written to me saying, oh, your article so captures what I went through. Uh, I've written a number of articles on everything from the secret language of M&A to the you know, different ways that you can galvanize a workforce through your communication. So if you're interested in, in just reading a little bit more about some of the things I've written, you can find it there. And then also I should have said on my, uh, on my website, you can find a link to the Harvard Business Review article that we referenced earlier. I've had some really great reaction to that. It actually went viral. (laughs) Good for you. Yeah. For a first time contributor to HBR, uh, over 10,000 views. So I was thrilled for that. That's awesome. Well, I am so happy for you. Really thrilled that you were able to take the time, especially being as busy as you are getting ready to launch your book. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat and look forward to next time. Thank you. Really. Thanks for having me, Tina. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed the second part of our conversation with Jennifer Fondreve and that you will join us next week for our new episode. I'm your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.